You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When a young graduate student with everything to live for is gunned down on his front porch. I remember just screaming, my baby, my baby, my baby, why would somebody do this to my baby? The seaside town of Santa Barbara, California, battens down the hatches. There was a definite sense that there is a murderer amongst us. But with little evidence or motive, investigators are stumped. All of the people that we spoke with had nothing but great things to say about Jared. An ordinary houseplant becomes key to unlocking the mystery. I reviewed the surveillance footage, and immediately I knew that the person that purchased that plant was responsible for this homicide. A Persian violet becomes a killer's downfall. She was dealing with the wrong person. She was dealing with me. How well do you know your neighbors? What lies behind the white picket fences? Just a couple hours north of the tangle of freeways that is Los Angeles, California, is the sleepy oceanside town of Santa Barbara. Santa Barbara is this picture-perfect coastal hamlet. It's this little slice of architectural beauty wedged in between the mountains and the Pacific Ocean. Sometimes called the American Riviera, Santa Barbara is a place to soak up some rays or maybe relax over a latte. The city is home sweet home to nearly 100,000 people. One of them is 27-year-old Jared Davidson. A recent transplant from San Diego, he moved here to attend grad school at UCSB, the University of California at Santa Barbara. Jared took some chemistry in college and found that he really loved it. He got a degree in chemistry and worked for about a year and a half for a pharmaceutical company and then decided to enter into graduate school. 
Jared is working towards his PhD. No small task. His mother, Susan, knows that while her son may be serious about his career, he's got a softer side. Jared was very sweet and quiet and reserved, and he was quite athletic. He would make friends with outgoing kids. We all had a really good sense of humor, and we all just laughed and laughed. By the summer of 2004, Jared has done a lot of living. Still a student, he's been married, divorced, and is father to three-year-old Malia. What is that? Pumpkin. Jared had Malia three weekends out of every month, a week from Christmas Day till New Year's Eve, and one week in the summer. Jared's got an eye toward the future and works hard to make sure Malia's future is as bright as his. That's why he was going to grad school and getting his PhD, so that he could provide a better life for her. Unfortunately for Jared, the future has a way of not always working out as planned. Detective Greg Sorensen is one of just over a dozen investigators in the Santa Barbara Sheriff's Department. It's a tough job. So every now and then, he acts out his troubles. Celia, do you want me to tell you why you're raving on like this? Because I have to look at you. Uh, <laughs> this job gives me great opportunity to see some very interesting real-life characters and reflect on how people are in the real world. And I can bring some of that into my acting. Come, come, Celia. It's true. I swear it. But the scene that unfolds on a quiet Friday evening, July 9th, 2004, is anything but fiction. Detective Greg Sorensen turns in, hoping for a little shut-eye. The sweet dreams an investigator with 13 years on the force rarely gets. At approximately 11 p.m., I was settling down, getting ready to go to bed, and off in the distance, I heard what I distinctly knew was a loud gunshot. Minutes later, Sorensen's hopes for a good night's sleep are dashed for good. My boss called me and told me that there was a shooting on Old Mill Road, approximately four miles away from where I live. The victim is male, 27 years old, shot in the chest. His name is Jared Davidson. My first impressions were obviously that he was shot at the doorway of his apartment. His body was no longer there. They had transported it to the hospital. But Jared won't ever see a doctor. A little after 11.30 p.m., he dies in the ambulance. The Santa Barbara Sheriff's Department now has a homicide on its hands. And that means all hands on deck. There were uh, uniformed deputies doing a canvas search. There were detectives already on scene knocking on doors, getting statements from witnesses and neighbors. Despite 16 years on the force, senior deputy Freddy Padilla never gets used to this part. The doorway where Jared lived, there was a large blood spatter and the ground at the entrance, there were some blood droppings there too. It was a pretty gruesome homicide. So far, there's not much to go on. 
save for a single bullet found 30 feet from where Jared fell. After traveling through Jared's upper body, the bullet went through the window of Jared's apartment, went across through his wall and into the bathtub in the adjacent apartment. The bullet is a small but important clue. Based on the trajectory, we had identified that the shooter was approximately 8 to 15 feet away from Jared when he fired the weapon. That put him back across the courtyard near some trees in a shadow area. Investigators check out the spot where they believe the gun was fired. No shell casings, nothing. And the bullet itself doesn't reveal much either. Our ballistics expert took the bullet to see if he could identify what type of weapon had fired it. The only thing he could conclusively say was that it was fired from a high-powered rifle. Hard to call that conclusive. Greg Sorensen may be a seasoned investigator, but from the get-go, this case is breaking the mold. At that first moment, we didn't know what the motive was. We had to make sure that we kept everything in mind, that anything was possible. It did not look like a burglary. It didn't look like a fight. Someone just got shot and was murdered right in their front doorstep. I was just going to tell you a little bit of what's come back. Okay. Based on the evidence, we came to the conclusion that Jared was targeted and assassinated that night. Who would target a grad student for death? And why? This was a brazen attack. A public execution. Fortunately, in a crowded apartment complex, there are hundreds of eyes and ears on the ground. One of the witnesses heard the gunshot and noticed two people moving very quickly away from the crime scene. They identified one of the people as wearing dark clothing and a baseball cap. It's a start, but nowhere near enough to go on. Still, there's one thing investigators find at the scene that seems a little odd. We noticed that at the doorstep was a potted plant. It was out of place. The plant was on its side, and it looked like it almost rolled right into the planter from the concrete pathway. The plant had probably been placed there as a ruse to get him to come outside. And at that point is when he was executed. Closer inspection reveals even more. The plant had a card inside of the plastic card holder that said, to my teacher, and was written on there, Jared, and it was misspelled J-A-R-E-D. Jared's proper spelling is J-A-R-R-O-D, and it almost looked like it could have been a child that wrote it. After their initial investigation, detectives have a pretty good idea of the how. It's the why that's baffling. But surprisingly, this isn't the first time Detective Sorensen has come face-to-face with Jared Davidson. Maybe this seemingly innocent young man is not quite what he appears. (laughs) 
Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. In 2002, journalist Ethan Stewart moved to Santa Barbara from his native Massachusetts to escape the ice and snow and shred a few waves. I had a friend who was a longtime news reporter, and he asked me if I had ever thought about reporting the news. And that was that. Ethan's been pounding the pavement for the Santa Barbara Independent ever since. When Jared was murdered, that was the first murder of that year in Santa Barbara County, and it happened in July. So it gives you an idea of how mellow things are around here. On the night their son was gunned down, Jared's parents are out of town and out of touch. It takes police almost 36 hours to reach them. I will never forget the words coming out of my husband's mouth saying, 
Jared's been shot and he's dead. And I remember just screaming, my baby, my baby, my baby, why would somebody do this to my baby? And when I got the call that he had been killed, that's all I kept crying out was, he is so good, he is so good, why did they do this to him? <laughs> Jared's family is shaken to the core. But when it comes to who might have wanted the young grad student out of the picture, they have a few ideas. According to Susan, Jared got mixed up with someone he shouldn't have, his ex-wife, Kelly. The first time that Jared brought Kelly home, she seemed like a very nice girl. She was very quiet and reserved. Jared and Kelly are in love, and things get real serious real fast. Jared called us time and was like, oh, I want to tell you guys something. Kelly's pregnant and we're going to get married. On January 23rd, 2000, Jared and Kelly tie the knot. Kelly is three months pregnant. I believe it was just all happening so fast that he didn't really have time to stop and say, is this really what I want to do? On July 22nd, 2000, Kelly gives birth to a baby girl. They name her Malia. Jared was just glowing. He was absolutely glowing and he was so proud. But the honeymoon doesn't last. It was after the wedding when Jared and Kelly went back to their home and they had to go back to school and after Malia was born that things really changed. The more time I spent with Kelly, the less and less I liked her. She was very controlling. It was pretty much her way or the highway. There's also another huge source of tension, Kelly's relationship with her mother. They spoke to each other six or seven times during the day. I don't believe Kelly made a move or a decision without discussing it first with her mother and then at some times her father. I don't think he ever felt that their relationship and their marriage was between the two of them. I think he thought it was between the three of them. For the sake of Malia, Jared tries to work things out, but the situation keeps getting worse. Jared and Kelly had had an argument. She had accused him of sleeping with his study partner. Apparently, he got mad at her and threw a remote control from a television set into a wall, and he left. Within days, Jared files for divorce. Yet despite his problems with Kelly, Jared never gives up on his daughter, Malia. He was very adamant that he was going to be a father to Malia and that he was going to be a strong presence in her life. You ready? Yay! Yay. Jared's awarded visitation rights, three weekends a month and two full weeks a year. But Kelly uses the courts to fight Jared at every turn, each time upping the ante. In March of 2004, Kelly Davidson came to the Santa Barbara Sheriff's Department to file a report of child molestation. The child, according to Kelly Davidson, had disclosed to therapists that Jared had inappropriately touched her. And it was just ridiculous. I know it was completely unfounded. Detective Sorensen finds no merit in Kelly's claims. 
We did a forensic interview with the child, and the child made no disclosure to us that she had been inappropriately fondled or touched by the suspect at that time, Jared Davidson. The evidence backs up Jared's story. This was it. He'd finally had it with Kelly's games. He sues for full custody. The custody hearing is scheduled for July 28, 2004. Trouble is, 19 days before the hearing, Jared is gunned down. So is this simply a coincidence or motive for murder? When we brought Kelly Davidson in to interview her regarding Jared Davidson's death, we didn't disclose to her that he had been murdered. You know what happened to Jared last night, don't you? No, I don't. When we did, she didn't act surprised. She didn't show any emotion. It was only later that we even brought that up to her and told her, you know, why didn't you show any emotion? It was at that point she started to cry. Kelly's reaction immediately raises suspicions. But she has an alibi. Kelly Davidson told us on the night of the homicide that she was with her friend Adam. And they were approximately 90 miles away from the murder scene. Kelly is released for lack of evidence. Still, Sorensen checks out her story. Adam was abrasive. He was a little bit difficult for us to deal with. He had a hard time understanding why we were questioning him so extensively about his possible involvement in this crime. Despite his alibi, Adam Tyndall has a hobby that makes Sorensen think twice before clearing him. He was into firearms, which piqued our interest quite a bit. We conducted search warrants at his residence, seized firearms, and tried to do firearms comparisons with the bullet that we had found at the crime scene. However, none of them could be positively identified as being the gun that had shot Jared. In the end, Adam's story checks out. And clearing Adam clears Kelly as well. At that point, we pretty much confirmed that Kelly Davidson was not at the murder scene that evening. But Adam isn't the only new man in Kelly's life. There's another suitor named Dan Henner. Dan was Kelly Davidson's boyfriend at the time. He was a former military guy who had just gotten out of the Navy. Dan was under the impression that Jared had been involved in drugs. So there was a thought that possibly Kelly might have persuaded him to be involved in Jared's death. And by involved, Sorensen means Dan could be the killer. His alibi was that he was at home that evening up in the Grover Beach area, which again is 90 miles away from the murder scene. So far, Sorensen has more theories than hard evidence. But even this veteran detective isn't prepared for where this case is headed next. Santa Barbara, California, a laid-back beachside community. Not a town you'd think would be the scene of a grisly murder. 
But when grad student Jared Davidson is cut down by a high-powered rifle, the town shudders. There was a definite sense that there is a murderer amongst us. And there was certainly fear. I remember talking to neighbors and, you know, they were so shocked that something like that could have happened in their neighborhood. And they were locking doors and, and taking precautions that they'd never even thought of before. Lead detective Greg Sorensen isn't having much luck calming the community's fears. His number one suspect, Jared's ex-wife Kelly, has an ironclad alibi. But Sorensen knows most murders are solved close to home. So he pays a surprise visit on a couple folks he soon learns were none too fond of Jared, Kelly's parents. Philip and Melinda Jones both expressed shock when they found out that Jared Davidson was murdered. They thought of Jared Davidson as, quote-unquote, a bad guy, according to Melinda Jones, but he did not deserve to be shot and killed. But on the night of July 9th, they were nearly 100 miles from the scene of the crime. Philip and Melinda Jones had an alibi that evening that they were up on Grover Beach. They later went further up north into Shell Beach, and they stayed up there on the bluffs overlooking the ocean, and they didn't return back home till approximately midnight that night. However, we had no witnesses that could identify them either being down on Grover Beach that night or up in the Shell Beach area. They did call Kelly from the beach, something she's already confirmed. And there's more. During the course of the interview with Philip Jones, he told investigators that his right hand was disabled from an auto accident. Because of that, it would be impossible for him to lift a firearm and pull the trigger and shoot a gun. So for Detective Sorensen, it's back to square one. And he has no fingerprints, no DNA, no murder weapon, nada. Sorensen is determined to crack this case. Luckily, one person who knew Jared well has a theory. Philip Jones told investigators that he believed Jared Davidson was cooking or making drugs inside of his chemistry lab at UC Santa Barbara. There was some speculation. Oh, he must have been a gambler. Oh, there must have been something. I mean, when you get brutally murdered on your front doorstep, you assume there must be something going on behind the scenes. And then there's the card found at the scene. More than just a student, Jared was also a teaching assistant. Could one of his students have had a beef with him? Detective Sorensen heads to the UCSB campus. All of the people that we spoke with out at the university had nothing but great things to say about Jared. They really thought that he was easygoing, he was smart, and they enjoyed working with him. Everything that we were hearing about Jared was just about what an amazing young man he was. There's just such a juxtaposition between how people are describing Jared and the way that his life ended. What about the allegations Jared was cooking up drugs in his chem lab? People thought it was preposterous that Jared Davidson would be involved in any way with manufacturing drugs of any sort. Jared was well-liked. He wasn't selling drugs or running the numbers, yet he was marked for death. Sorensen goes back to the beginning, back to a single clue, a piece of evidence yet to be fully examined, 
the Persian violet found at Jared's front door. One of our detectives, Freddie Padilla, remembered seeing that same plant at Yvonne's grocery store. About two weeks prior to the homicide, my wife wanted me to pick up roses. So we stopped at the local grocery store, and uh, they had a large display of Persian violets. Padilla knows solving crime means eyes open 24-7. So on a hunch, he decides to pay a return visit to the Vaughn's grocery. Right when I walked in, it was a, a large display of uh, Persian violets. And right in the middle, there was one missing. Could a houseplant be a smoking gun? I immediately contacted the store manager and requested a copy of the surveillance video so I could find what time that plant was purchased and possibly find out who purchased that flower. It's a long shot, a real long shot. But at this point, Hail Marys are all investigators have got. I reviewed the surveillance footage and immediately I knew that the person that purchased that plant was responsible somehow for this uh, homicide. The person was trying to disguise their face, wearing a hat, bulky sweater, new to keep their head down. Freddie Padilla has struck gold. The person on the video looks a lot like eyewitness descriptions of the perp seen leaving the scene. It was just a real suspicious person. And what was really interesting was that the person holding the plant was using the sweater to cover up the palms of their hands. It's an odd scene. But what the camera saw was no ordinary purchase. The person paid with cash. The cashier took the money, rang up the purchase, and the person left before receiving their change back. All the time holding onto the plant and trying to keep fingerprints from being on that plant. The video also reveals something else, something significant. The killer makes a mistake. For just a split second, the person grabs the cardholder with their bare hands. That means one thing. The cardholder might just contain the killer's DNA. And that's not the only thing the videotape reveals. Initially looking at the video, it appeared to be a man, heavy set, But looking at the person exiting the store, you could tell it was a female. It was a big piece of the puzzle. Get more Nightmare Next Door online at investigation.discovery.com. They say it never rains in California, but in the autumn of 2004, sunny Santa Barbara is living under a dark cloud. When Jared Davidson was murdered, it was a loss of innocence. He was killed on a beautiful summer night in a quiet part of town with his whole life ahead of him. I mean, it's, that was big time. Residents fear the murder will never be solved. Little do they know, police just got a major break. A few seconds of video, a killer caught on tape, a woman dressed as a man, a woman who looks awfully familiar to Detective Greg Sorensen. She had the same physical stature and stance that Kelly Davidson had. And we knew that based on our previous investigation with her. We knew what she looked like, how she walked, how she stood. Kelly may have a pretty airtight alibi, but there she is on the video. Sorensen also catches the killer 
making a careless mistake. She walked up and she picked up the plastic card holder and put it into the plant. There was the possibility that there was DNA on there. The card holder is Exhibit A, and it lives up to its billing. We just heard Greg excited saying that they got a DNA hit from a sample they took from the card holder. And uh, he gave us the good news and we got to work. With the killer's DNA in hand, Sorensen secures a DNA warrant. He's convinced he's got his man, Kelly Davidson. We still had the problem with her alibi. We still had a problem with her cell phone. But we were pretty confident that it was going to match Kelly. When the results are in, they're a shocker. And they throw a wrench into Sorensen's whole theory. We thought that that DNA was going to match her. And when it didn't, we were a little bit surprised. But the test is not a complete bust. It was a female. It wasn't Kelly, but it was possibly someone in her family. So detectives started looking into Melinda Jones as a possible suspect. Sorensen pays a visit to Kelly's mother, Melinda, and she's anything but cooperative. We had a search warrant for her DNA, and she was very nervous. She was a little bit distraught, but she complied with the search warrant order for the buckle swap of her DNA. Turns out, Melinda has good reason to be nervous. Her DNA is an exact match to the DNA on the cardholder. On January 6, 2005, six months after the killing of Jared Davidson, Melinda Jones is placed under arrest, charged with murder. She was very upset. She was making denials of being involved right off the get-go once we put her in handcuffs. We searched the house for any possible signs of Melinda being involved in the murder, possibly the murder weapon or any other sort of evidence. It was like losing him all over again. It all comes back. That heartache and that loss, and it's just overwhelming. With an arrest, things move into high gear. The case is assigned to Santa Barbara Deputy District Attorney Daryl Perlin. Case comes across my desk, and the only person who's been arrested is Melinda Jean Jones. I knew she was the ex-mother-in-law of Jared Davidson. I knew she was married to Phil Jones. I knew that Phil and Melinda Jean Jones always did everything together. There were two people seen fleeing the scene, so it was our belief that that other person was indeed Philip Jones. Now, investigators need to make the charges stick. Weren't Phil and Melinda taking a romantic walk on Grover Beach? Didn't Kelly get a call from her mother that night? At 9.06 p.m. on the night of the homicide, Melinda Jones called her daughter Kelly Davidson. Kelly told investigators that she distinctly heard the sound of the surf. We identified a cell phone tower in the Grover Beach area. So if she had made the phone call from the beach, it would have bounced off of that cell phone tower. Cell phone calls leave a distinct trail, a record of every tower that picks up the signal. And those records tell a totally different story. When she made that call, 
it was reflecting off a tower off of Highway 101 coming south towards Santa Barbara. So she was nowhere near Grover Beach like she said she was. Phil and Melinda claim they were together that night. Maybe that's true. Maybe they were together, committing a murder. But what about Phil's disability, his injured arm? They're out. Well, what he and Melinda don't know is that for weeks now, Sorensen has been keeping a very close eye on them. We conducted surveillance on Philip and Melinda Jones. They went into a grocery store and bought some items. One of the items appeared to be a case of wine. Philip Jones walks with this box, which is quite heavy, probably heavier than a firearm, out to his vehicle. We believe that this person could pick up a firearm, manipulate it, and pull the trigger. Every new discovery seems to punch another hole in Phil and Melinda's story. And then police find something at the Joneses' residence that sure looks awfully incriminating. We found a address book that they had, and we found everybody in the address book that we could and called people and did follow-up interviews with them to see what they could tell us about the Joneses. There was one person that we ended up talking to, and he ended up telling us that one day, prior to the murder, Philip Jones asked him if he could get him an unregistered weapon. A few days after Jared was murdered, Philip came back to him and said, forget I ever mentioned anything about you getting a gun for me. We knew right then that Philip was directly involved with this murder. Melinda's arrest, it turns out, is just the beginning of the fall of the House of Jones. 19 days later, Phil is taken into custody. There was no one else that disliked my son more than they did. But this investigation is far from over. New evidence is about to come to light that the murder of Jared Davidson might just have been a family affair. In the summer of 2005, the town of Santa Barbara, California, can finally breathe a sigh of relief. Melinda and Phil Jones are behind bars, charged in the slaying of their son-in-law, Jared Davidson. That was the first thing that came out of my mouth. My mom said, Jared's been shot, and um, I said they killed him. I can't believe they killed him. And I instantly knew. Out to prove they're guilty is Daryl Perlin, the deputy district attorney for Santa Barbara County. But a few locals know him by another title, the king. My passion is Elvis. When I did something, I would do it like I thought Elvis would want it done. But the one thing that I was more passionate about than even Elvis was seeing to it that justice was served. But before Melinda and Phil start singing Jailhouse Rock, Daryl Perlin has to make his case. When we went to the grand jury, our whole purpose was to get an indictment of Melinda Jean Jones and Phil Jones. Jared's ex-wife Kelly takes the stand to testify, to back up her parents' story. Her plan quickly backfires. 
Kelly Davidson, when she went to the grand jury, said as she talked to her mother on the phone, she heard waves breaking in the background, indicating to her that her mother was on the beach, like she said she was. Well, grand jurors already knew from the cell phone records that her parents were on their way to Santa Barbara. They weren't at the beach. To say the least, Kelly's testimony doesn't exactly have the intended effect. Every time she opens her mouth, evidence against her seems to be mounting. It was to the point where you said to yourself, this woman's involved in the murder. The grand jurors unanimously, no dissent, said that they wanted to indict Kelly for aiding and abetting her parents in the murder of Jared Davidson. In an instant, Kelly's life changes, big time. Kelly Davidson was arrested that evening and she was brought to Santa Barbara to the county jail. And with the indictment of Kelly, Melinda and Phil's defense crumbles. Phil's lawyer realizes the trio faces stiff odds. His attorney came to us and said that Phil Jones was willing to plead guilty to the murder of Jared Davidson if we dismissed all charges against Kelly Davidson. Perlin says no way. He's convinced Kelly played a big role, and he's determined to prove it. We always felt that Kelly was the motivator for her parents to go and commit the murder. Because by Jared being murdered, the person who had benefited was Kelly. But there's another twist, and it's a big one. Phil Jones is dying. He's been diagnosed with inoperable lung cancer. For Perlin, what some may see as karmic justice presents a real-world problem. If Phil dies, Perlin loses his star witness in the case against Kelly. Without him, she could walk. This plea deal may be his last chance to bring down all three. With no other choice, Perlin accepts. Phil would plead guilty to murder, and he would be sentenced to 25 years to life without the possibility of parole. Melinda would plead guilty to murder. She would be sentenced to 25 years to life. Kelly would plead guilty to two counts of perjury and one count of being an accessory. For the Jared Davidson murder case, it looks like a wrap. But looks can be deceiving. In mid-December 2005, the three Joneses arrive in court to plead guilty. One by one, they come before the judge. Kelly and Phil follow the script. Melinda follows her own plan. You have to say in your words that you're accepting the terms of the deal. Melinda said, oh no, I don't think I want to do that. And it was absolutely unexpected. Even her own attorney seemed shocked. A sentence of 25 years to life is no picnic. Still, the plea deal offers Melinda a chance to one day be free. But she decides to roll the dice, to take her chances in front of a jury. My reaction was, she's crazy. If she loses a jury trial, it's life with no possibility of parole. And with the evidence that we had against her, I don't know why anybody in their right mind would want to go to a jury trial. But that's exactly what she does. On July 24, 2006, Melinda's trial is called to order. 
And that's when things get really strange. She claimed that she had suffered a bout of amnesia. Suddenly, she claimed that she had no memory of anything. She didn't know who her family was. She didn't know who her attorney was. She knew nothing. She was a blank slate. We all knew it was a lie. We all knew she wasn't doing a very good job of it. I just thought it was another one of their pathetic attempts. But there is method to Melinda's madness. If she's declared insane, she'll serve her sentence in a psychiatric hospital, not a prison. But first, she's got to convince the jury she's nuts. She was acting just bizarrely. I mean, sitting there, quasi-catatonic, fidgeting with her hands a lot, whispering, doing baby talk with her attorney, just really wackadoodle stuff. <laughs> it was something else. Luckily, Daryl Perlin has more than just her bad acting to prove she's lying. It seems no one told her that in jail there's no right to privacy. Melinda's phone calls, even her conversations, are all recorded. And she would start talking about things that clearly showed that she didn't have amnesia. And it was obvious after a while that this was another of Melinda Jean Jones's attempts to outsmart people. But she was dealing with the wrong person. She was dealing with me. Her amnesia claim doesn't fly. Melinda Jones is convicted of murder and sentenced to life with no possibility of parole. It's a sentence far worse than the one she rejected. Phil accepts the plea deal and is sentenced to 25 years to life. Kelly gets four years behind bars. Many, though, feel she got off easy. The whole team of investigators and the district attorneys, everybody believes that Kelly had more involvement in Jared's demise than what we were able to prove. And that's frustrating. Following the trail of evidence, investigators believe that on July 9th, 2004, at 10.44 p.m., Melinda and Phil Jones purchased a gift for Jared, a Persian violet. After purchasing the plant, they drove just a few miles away to Jared's house. Melinda went up to the doorstep. To throw off police, she placed a To My Teacher card in the plant. Philip was back hiding in the shadows near the bushes. She put the plant down, she knocked on the door. Jared stepped out of his doorway and Philip pulled up that rifle and shot Jared through the chest. A single shot that ended Jared's life. On July 6, 2007, after serving less than two years in a California state penitentiary, Kelly is released. On May 19, 2007, Phil Jones dies in prison. Today, Melinda Jones remains behind bars. The city of Santa Barbara is back to normal. Tourists splash in the surf. Coffee shops are brimming with customers. But this town still has a little hole in its heart. For one person, though, Jared's daughter, Malia, you could say there's been a happy ending. Jared gave his life, not knowingly, so that Malia could have a life with us and that she could have the life that Jared always wanted her to have. What are you going to be for Halloween? 
Malia is being raised in a loving home. She lives with Jared's parents, Susan and Richard. Jared gave up his life so that Malia could have a better one. I know that in my heart. I know every parent would give their life for their child. And he did. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.